Okay, well, good evening. Great to see you all. Uh, I'm uh, going to uh, speak this evening about three aspects that we see in Jesus' life that are key to anyone who wants to live as a follower of Jesus. Uh, and I'm going to start by reading Mark, uh, Mark chapter 1, and we're going to take a section at a time. So Mark chapter 1, verses 9 to 13 is where we're starting this evening. And this is what it says. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. This is an extraordinary scene of heaven touching earth. The Holy Spirit descending on Jesus, heaven opening, and the Father's voice being heard by all people gathered around, saying, you are my son, whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. Before Jesus had done anything of the miracles that he was about to do, the teaching that he was about to do, the healings, the casting out of demons, all the different aspects of kingdom work that he was going to do. The first thing that happened was that his identity was affirmed, completely affirmed. He's affirmed as the one whom the Father loves in the relationship of being the son of God and as one with whom God is pleased. Just imagine for a moment, you wake up tomorrow morning, which hopefully all of us will, that's the idea, and you wake up with this thought, God loves me completely. God says to me, as the alarm bell goes, I am well pleased with you. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I've got about three nods and... Okay, we've got... Okay, good. Yeah, I know you hear that every morning, James. <laughs> you see, Jesus is in covenant with his father... He's in a relationship where both parties say to each other, everything I am, everything I have, I give to you. So Jesus, when he walked this earth, he lived his life from the knowledge of that covenant, that his father in heaven said to him, everything I have, I give to you. And if you're here tonight as a follower of Jesus, the Father says the same to you. It's the same covenant. It's the new covenant that Jesus has won for you and for me. 
So the Father says to you, everything I have is yours. And our part of this bargain, our part of the covenant, is to respond in worship and praise and to say, and everything I have, God, is yours. Who's getting the better deal? Honestly, who's getting the better deal? Yeah, we are. I mean, like, a significantly better deal. And there's no small print. There's none of that, oh, and terms and conditions apply. You know, all of that you hear at the end of the adverts. This is an extraordinary covenant. The Father says to you, everything I have is yours. So Jesus lives from that identity. From that identity. Let's read on a little bit further in chapter one. Let's uh, skip to verses 14 to 20. The bit I'm skipping out is the attack of the devil on Jesus' identity in the desert. It's not something to be skipped over lightly. It did happen. And the way that the devil attacked Jesus was to say, if you are the son of God. If you start to doubt yourself, don't believe the lie. Respond with scripture. The devil said to Jesus, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And after 40 days of fasting, if I'd been Jesus, I'd have turned them into ciabatta with olives. (laughs) Right there, scoffed the lot. Thankfully for you, I'm not Jesus. Thankfully for all of us and the world, Jesus is someone who is able to stand in the face of temptation and refute it with words of scripture. He said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Boom. (laughs) Devil, take that one on the nose. You've just been knocked out of court there. Use scripture to remind yourself of who you are in God and what he has done for you. But use more than scripture. Use scripture, but don't get isolated. Don't get isolated. And now we are gonna hit verse uh, 14 of this next part of Mark chapter one. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, He saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. 
Jesus announces that the kingdom of God has come near. He announces this as an opportune time, an opportunity, an invitation for people to step into. He invites people into a change of heart and mind to repent. He invites them into belief, that's faith that expresses itself in action. And then Jesus does something quite extraordinary. He calls a group of followers. He calls people into community. This announcement of the kingdom of God by the Son of God is not something that he's going to do on his own. He calls community. These fishermen are the start of his close community. He doesn't live in splendid isolation. He has relationship with his Father in heaven and he forms community with people who become closer than his own brothers and sisters. Jesus authentically relates to men and women closely gathered around him who will share the next three years with him and all that that entails. That's why at St. Barnabas we're really committed to you joining communities. We call them Barnabas communities just to make it easy to name them. But get involved in community because Jesus himself was not isolated when he was bringing in the works of the kingdom. So he was able to refute the enemy with words of scripture, but he walked closely with people, a community around him. Get into community, gather people around you, don't get isolated, don't get isolated. Uh, Let's read on in verse 21. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Must have been gutted to be one of them at that point. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him, the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching? And with authority, he even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the house of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever And they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, because he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. He gathers community. And then in Capernaum, a small fishing village on the shore of a lake in an outlying region of the Roman Empire, extraordinary action takes place. The kingdom of God breaks in. 
Jesus teaches with authority in the synagogue, so much so that an evil spirit cannot keep quiet. It blows its cover, and Jesus sets the man free. No wonder the news spread around Galilee so fast. And then Jesus walked two blocks away, literally round the corner from the synagogue. You can see the site of Simon Peter's house even today. And there Jesus brings in another action of the kingdom. He heals sickness. Simon's mother-in-law is completely healed. And that's just the start of a busy evening of healing and setting people free. The whole town comes to that fisherman's house. And many people are healed. Many people are set free. That is the action of the kingdom. Then the next morning, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So after that busy night at the home, Jesus gets up early, goes to pray, and his community come to get him. There's more to do here, Jesus. But Jesus is absolutely confident in his identity. You know, if we'd been his disciples gathering around him at that point, we'd have been saying, go to another place. Come on, Jesus, we're riding the crest of a wave here. Let's get the Twitter feed going. Let's get the stage up. JC Ministries branding everywhere. We have got this place covered. Jesus goes, no, we're going to the next place. Because Jesus always knew what his father was doing. He knew where to go. He knew to move on to see the kingdom come. So what can we learn from this? Well, we can learn being before doing. That sense of identity, coming together in community before action. Being before doing, identity before action, relate before respond. You could call this talk R and R, relate and respond. Some of us are more re- wired in the kind of relating sort of way, a bit like Martha sitting at Jesus' feet, sorry, Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. Others a bit more activists like Martha wanting to get out and do things. We need to have both going on, relate and respond, and that's the order of it. It's be to do, not dooby dooby do. Be to do, it's that way. I need to be able to sing that, but I can't. 
do be do be do. No, it's be to do, be to do, be to do, be to do. Knowing who your identity is in Christ and then stepping into kingdom action. When I say kingdom action, does your heart leap? Or do you go, oh no, how could possibly do that? Heal the sick, cast out demons, set prisoners free? How, 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 how? Well, we are ambassadors for Christ. So as his representatives, we get to do this. It's not a got to, we get to. And how is it that we get to do this? Well, it comes back to identity. Where do we get our identity from? Well, if we're anything like the two brothers described in the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, we'll either be pursuing our own desires, satisfying appetites, that's the younger son, or we'll be performing our duty, demanding affirmation, condemning people that we don't think are good enough. That's the older son. What's unique about Christian identity? And I want to acknowledge Tim Keller at this point. Uh, he's a leader of a church in New York. And uh, this next part of what I'm going to say uh, is based on some teaching that I've heard from Tim Keller. So strap yourself in. It's the last bit of the talk. You'll be glad to know. But this is the best bit. Because in this bit, we get to find out what Jesus has won for us. Ready for it? Here we go. So what's unique about Christian identity? The first bit is no one lives completely out of their Christian identity. There's only one person that ever did, and that was Jesus. So he's perfect. So that should be quite a relief to us in one way, okay? So it says in Ephesians 4, 22 and 23, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. What that is saying there is there is a process of sanctification. As we continue as followers of Jesus, we get to live more and more out of our Christian identity. So for our whole life, we're trying to put off the old forms of identity that the culture continues to try and put on us. So it's natural to fall back into the cultural identity of either pursuing our selfish desires or... Um, trying to prove ourselves for affirmation and perf through performance. There's still a battle in the d desert going on. There's still that temptation going on. But here's the thing, and this is huge. This is quoting Tim Keller. The basis of your identity is Christ's performance, not your performance. 
The Christian identity is the only identity in history that is received, not achieved. That is hugely good news. That's why Jesus says the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the good news. This is seriously good news. You see, it's not anything to do, your sense of self-worth, your identity in Christ, is not anything to do with your performance on a given day. Because your self-worth, your identity, is based on your standing in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now that doesn't mean that God made Jesus angry, sinful, angry. It means that God treated Jesus as if he had sinned. And when Jesus is treated as a sinner, he's a substitute. He pays our debt. He takes the wrath of God on, upon him that we might become righteousness in him. The moment we believe, God treats us as if we are perfectly righteous in Jesus. Okay, so that means God treats Jesus as if he had sinned. He treats us as absolutely loved, absolutely accepted, even though within ourselves we are sinful. It's a standing before God. It's not, it doesn't go up and down. We can't look back on our week and say, we had a bad week as a Christian, therefore my identity is weaker. My self-worth is weaker. No. Because Jesus has won this. Our self-worth, our identity, is not achieved, it's received. And again, we need community around us to remind ourselves on that. Because it's the community around us who knows when we mess it up, yeah? So what are we gonna do when we see that going on? We confess our sins to each other, the book of James says, and then we remind ourselves and we speak it out to each other that Jesus has won for us our standing Deep in our hearts, every single human heart thinks that self-worth, identity has to be earned. Christianity says, that's right, but it's Jesus who's earned it, not you. Shall I repeat that? I ask a good one to take into the week, isn't it? Okay. So deep in our hearts, every single human heart thinks that worth, self-worth and identity has to be earned. Christianity says, that's right. It does have to be earned. But it's Jesus that's earned it, not you. That's our standing. That's the covenant. That is seriously good news. There's some people smiling out there. 
Yeah? That's what we carry out. Where we started with that reading, the Father speaking over the Son. This is my Son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Jesus, to his disciples in John chapter 17, he says, Father, the love that you have given me, you now give to them. And he did that before, he said that before he went to the cross, which is the way he won for us that standing. The way that he brought us into covenant with this amazing creator God. And it is the way that we are empowered to be his ambassadors. What we're going to do now is we're going to step into that love. We're going to step into that identity. I want to invite you to stand. Katie and Niall are going to come forward. Katie's going to lead us in a song while James prepares communion because we're going to gather around the Lord's table to receive once again that deep, full identity. So let's take a moment. If you know that this week you've been chasing after desires, trying to satisfy your own appetites, or if you've been performing, looking for affirmation and looking down on other people, confess that to God. Just say in this moment to God, sorry God, I've messed up. You can use a stronger word if you like. (laughs) And thank you Jesus, that you have taken the sins that we've just confessed onto yourself. And in exchange, you give us the love of the Father. And I speak over everyone this evening the words that the Father spoke over you. You are beloved by God. God is well pleased with you.